0: Right, well, we're going to carry on with uh, Acts 26, and let's just start with uh, that. With... Lord God, our Heavenly Father, through the Lord, we come to you, we thank you for him, we thank you for your purpose in him, and for your desire to give us a purpose and a mission in our lives. And we see in the Apostle Paul the parade example, really, of our conversion to your son, and what it should mean. And we pray that you will call each of us, and help us to hear your call Father that we might respond and that we might be your men and your women in this world. Please help us then that we might be the light of the world here in South London where we are and that we might, with your help, win men and women and boys and girls to the saving knowledge of Jesus as our Lord and our Saviour. So, Father, be with us all and bless us in all the various issues that we've got at this time. I'll be with my dad, struggling in the hospital. We pray that you'll be with us all, and be with Karen also, struggling in hospital as well. And bring us all, it finally, at the end of it all, to your eternal kingdom. For the Lord's sake. Amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, Acts 26. We, we talked yesterday about how Paul, you know, he, he tells his story of his conversion. How he was going one way, and he was turned 180 degrees around the other way. And I said that 180 degree change and turnaround in human life is absolutely possible. Even if you were the worst sinner and Paul presents as the worst guy he says he tortured Christians unto death I don't know how how worse you can get than that or even if you didn't do any of the bad stuff as the world thinks is bad and you just lived a boring self-centered little life some little house proud town mouse here in South London uh, and you didn't do anything dramatically wrong but you're wasting your life going the wrong way and just wasting yet those people too 180 degree change because the Lord Jesus comes into your life so picking up at verse um, 15 I said Paul says who are you Lord and the Lord said I'm Jesus whom you persecute and I said that of course Jesus was not personally persecuted by Paul. He wasn't torturing Jesus himself. He was torturing those who had been baptized into the Lord Jesus. So, when you're baptized into the body of Jesus, you are him. And all that is done to you, you know, Dottie telling me how some guy nicked her freedom pass. Well, that was done to Jesus. That guy nicked a freedom pass off Jesus, actually. Uh, it's really how it is and the other thing I said was that Paul or Saul as he was knew subconsciously inside himself all along he knew this was true that's why the Lord says it's hard for you to kick against the cattle prod in other words in his conscience he knew that Jesus is true and that all the gospel is real and it is true and he says and I said who are you Lord, And the Lord said, I'm Jesus. Well, of course he knew that who that voice was. He says, who are you, Lord? Well, he, he knew it was the Lord, the Lord Jesus. So, we know, and men and women know, subconsciously, already, intuitively, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only truth. That's why I, I never bother apologising for it, trying to shore it up, back it up with this, that, or the other, um, so-called evidence and science or whatever. No, you don't need any of that. Because people know in their heart that this is true. And we all know it's true. And all there is, as I keep on telling you, all there is for us to do is total surrender. That I totally surrender. Hands up, hands up surrender. To his call on human life. So, the Lord says to Paul, verse 16, But arise and stand upon your feet. For to this purpose I have appeared unto you to appoint you a servant or a slave and a witness, both of the things in which you have seen me and of the things which I will reveal to you. So <clears throat> Jesus says to him, You're going to be my slave now. And in Romans six that we read when we get baptized, Paul talks there about how baptism we change masters. We were slaves of sin. We did whatever our own gut feeling, our own nature, our own devil, Satan, whatever you want to call it, whatever that told us to do. But then we changed masters, and now it is Jesus who is our master telling us what to do. And you know the New Testament's written in Greek, right? And we're reading here an English translation. And that word translated slave or servant it's a slave, it is, not servant. Uh, it literally means uh, one of the, um, the slaves who used to row in these great big warships that they had, the uh, Greeks and the Romans, they had all these slaves who were chained to the oars and their work was just to go backwards and forwards, pulling the thing forward. And that's kind of what, that's a picture of what we're doing for Jesus. We are just... We're propelling his work forward. And that is what it is to be a slave of Jesus. And I'm certainly happy with that. To not be free, between the commas, to do what I want, but to say, no Lord, I don't want to do what my flesh tells me to do, to do this, to do that, to look there, to lust after that, to covet after that. I want to be transformed and I want to be your slave. And I want to do what you want. And that is who he wants. Delivering you, verse 17, from the people of the Jews and from the Gentiles to whom I send you. So it was an almost impossible job to go and take this message to Jews and Gentiles. In the Roman Empire, like the Gentiles, uh, they were in the uh, the cult of Caesar worship. And Caesar was Lord. And to go out there and preach that Jesus is Lord was absolutely radical. They were going to go for him. Absolutely go for him. And yet, Jesus says, I will save you from all the opposition. And that is how it is. If you really want to be a servant of Jesus, you will be empowered to do it. And that is the point. To open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan, the adversary to God, To the end they may receive remission, forgiveness of sins, and an inheritance amongst those that are sanctified by faith in me. So we can turn people from darkness to light. Can you imagine how wonderful it would be to give a blind person their sight? Imagine somebody born blind, and you say to them, Hey, you know what, you can see now. Wow, thank you. Oh, wow, there's a bird. There's a, um, there's a dog. There's a cat. Oh, wow, the sky is blue. Oh, and the, oh, and the clouds are white. No concept of colour. Oh, wow, there's people. Oh, wow, the things are touched. I can now see. Imagine that you could do that for somebody. Well, you can. This is how radical it is. To have in our hands the gospel, that is the power of transformation. That can transform somebody who's spiritually blind. So that they see a totally new world. You you see those people walking down the high street doing their Christmas shopping. It's all about money. It's all about, oh, what looks good? and Oh, that would look cool. Or that's smart. Or I'm going to buy this smart experience for myself. Or or whatever. We're going to this pub for our Christmas bash and then we're going to go here. They're actually blind. They're actually stumbling down that high street blind. They've got no one to lead them. They can't see. There is another reality. There is another way to be. Whereas we can open their eyes and they can turn from darkness to light that they may receive forgiveness of their sins. Wow. (coughs) Now most of those people, if you said, hey, do you want forgiveness of sin for your Christmas present? They'd be like, oh, get real Shut up. No, not interested. But actually, that's the greatest thing. Because we've all got that conscience toward God. You can hide it. You can pretend that it's not being touched. But we all do have it. And you see, that can be changed. So that somebody is forgiven. And wow, all that stuff I did that I like not to think about... And all that weakness of character, weakness of personality, which I have, is dealt with well. And, he says, an inheritance among those that are sanctified by faith in me. You notice there he talks about salvation, but it's a sort of a collective thing. An inheritance, the inheritance is everlasting life in God's kingdom, when Jesus comes back. An inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me so salvation is personal in one sense that I Duncan will live forever I the bloke born in Lewisham hospital who wears glasses and all that but I will be saved I will live forever yep there is that but it is also a reward a future an eternity among among other people among those that are sanctified by faith in me so Salvation in that sense is a collective thing. When you're baptised, you're baptised into the body of Jesus. And the body of Jesus is a group of people. The church, if you like. And the church is not, as you know, uh, bricks and mortar. It's not a physical building. We are the church. The church is people. Not a physical building. The church is people. We are the church. And so, we find a place among others who are also saved and we all search for community we may all say no no I'm fed up with people I just do my own thing thank you yes we've all come to that point where we say I'm just so fed up with people I don't trust anybody and I never will do just got to do my thing yet yeah, you can you can try living like that but it won't work out you end up a narcissist. You end up someone who's focused on me, me, me all the time. That's also not good. But then we are sceptical about, quite rightly so, about religion, about churches, about denominations, because it always seems to go wrong. You know, the pastor takes off with a choir girl, or, ah, they're all about money, or, ah, there's some argument in the church, blah, blah, blah. I know, that's how it is. And that's okay, that's how human beings are, but that is not to say that you and me are the only true believers on this earth. Of course we're not. There are others who are genuine and who genuinely do believe. So, an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. What does it mean to be sanctified? To be sanctified means to be made holy. Those who are made holy by faith in me. What does that mean? It means that God counts you as if you are righteous. He counts you as if you are clean. But he also starts to work in your life through the Holy Spirit that you receive when you're baptized to make you actually, in reality, clean and there's nothing like living a clean life you may say oh living a clean life is boring no the clean life is a much better life than the dirty life absolutely it's a much better life it's not that art is no fun in that no it's not a case of what's fun taste and see that's all I can say to live the straight life to, to live the good life before God and before man that's the greatest way to go it absolutely is So he says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to their repentance. Well, he says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Well, yes and no, Paul. He did... um, yeah he went and preached in Damascus and suffered for it and ran away to Jerusalem but then after that he disappeared into Arabia and ended up going back to his hometown in Tarsus and Barnabas had to go and dig him out and say come on Paul get back on the on the track he doesn't mention this here he does elsewhere but he doesn't mention it here and I wondered if you know, I said before, Paul was a great guy, the best really of all people apart from Jesus. But even he was very weak. And here he is on trial for his life and he's under false accusation that he's blasphemed the temple. And he didn't do that. And when you're falsely accused, as we all have been at times, we've all been falsely accused and then you suddenly rise up very self-justifying, But I've never done nothing wrong. I'm wonderful. I'm an awesome person. And although the thing you're accused of may be false, you can end up failing to see, therefore, that you are all the same, a sinner in other ways. I I suspect that is what's going on here. He's falsely accused of having taken Gentiles into the temple, desecrating the temple. He didn't do that. That was total, 100%, make-up, rubbish. But... He presents himself a little bit too positively. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Well, Paul, you were for three years or so. Um, but he sort of rewrites the narrative on that. This is just my, my take. Um, as a comfort. that when you think, oh, I'm not perfect, I'm not Paul. No, you're not perfect, and sadly we never will be. When we go to our grave planks. Imperfect. Absolutely imperfect. We will not quite totally actually get there in terms of perfection. But I don't want to say that's okay, because it sounds like we do not worry about it. It's not okay. But it is a reality, shall I say, that God understands and accepts. And even Paul was not, you know, he wasn't perfect. So he says, I did, did, I did this. I declared to everyone, Damascus and Jerusalem, everywhere, But they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to their repentance. Well, what is repentance? Repenting, rethinking. Repentance doesn't mean that I will not sin again. It is a mental attitude that I do agree that I have sinned. That is what it is. It can't mean that you turn over this completely clean leaf and you're never going to sin again, you're goody-two-shoes, that is not, I'm afraid, how it it is being, to be human. Because John writes in his letters, if any man say that he doesn't sin, then he is a liar. And the word of God, the truth of God is not in him. On the other hand, you cannot just shrug mentally and say, oh yeah, I'm a sinner, and I shall continue he does say you've got about performing deeds appropriate to their repentance that doesn't mean that you are squeaky clean and sinless and never put a foot wrong or whatever but I think what it does mean is that your life will change that repentance, that mental confession of sin and failure will lead to some change in practice absolutely so he says for this cause the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me so they say the real reason they tried to kill me was because I was preaching repentance and that's it if you tell people directly or indirectly that you need to change that you're not actually this awesome wonderful perfect person that everyone taps you under the chin and says oh you're awesome oh you're wonderful we all know that's rubbish though I'm not awesome and I'm not so wonderful um, but when you, we know that but a lot of people out there on the high street they don't know that if you say that to them you know what mate you're not as awesome and wonderful as you think you are They're, they get real cranky with you and so he says for this cause you know I was preaching repentance and the need to change and for this cause this is he says why the Jews seized me in the temple and try to kill me because their conscience had been touched therefore he says, having obtained the help that is from God, I stand to this day testifying both the small and great saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said should happen there he is preaching to Agrippa to this king uh, sorry, and to uh, Festus, all these great rulers, and he's standing there in court in the dock and he stands there tradition says he was a small bloke Um, his face would have had all the signs on it of someone who had been repeatedly beaten up his nose would have been broken etc and he, he, he says look I'm here to this day right to this moment testifying, preaching to small to ordinary people and to great people like you O King Agrippa and you Festus so there he is on trial for his life but he is from the dock actually preaching to these great men sitting there on their thrones and all the pomp and the power of this life. So he says, I'm just preaching to you and everybody. Verse 23, that the Christ should suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead he would proclaim light, both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So he says that Jesus, through his resurrection, proclaimed light to people. But Paul has just said, in uh, verse 18 there, that my job is to open people's eyes and turn them from darkness to light. So my job is to be a light to people. But he says, Jesus, verse 23, after he rose from the dead, he proclaimed light to people. So, Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus said two things, he said I am the light of the world and he also said you are the light of the world so this is what it means to be in Christ that all that is true of him becomes true of me if he is the light of the world so am I if he is the seed of Abraham who would bring blessing on this earth so am I if he he has got eternal life then so will I have and that's why I love playing that song because he lives I will live also this is why the Lord says because I live you shall live also this is why I urge you to be baptized into Jesus Christ because when you go under the water that's like death with Jesus and when you come up out of the water it's like resurrection and his life becomes yours as he lives forever so will you Well, Festus, who's judging him, says, verse 24, Paul, you're mad. And I love how Paul, standing there in the dock, answers back. He says, I'm not mad. I'm not crazy. But I speak words of truth. In other words, this is the sober truth, what I'm telling you. Don't tell me I'm mad. The king knows of these things. These things are not hidden from him. So he's saying, you're just rubbishing me as, as crazy. But I'm telling you. But I'm telling you the ultimate truth and you know that truth here he is preaching arguing back what in this country would be called contempt of court uh, preaching back at most excellent fe- Festus as he calls it and then he took Paul turns 27 to the other guys judging him King Agrippa King Agrippa he says do you believe the prophets and I guess there was a silence because he's Paul's in the dock and the king is on his great throne as I say all the pomp and the power and the glory of this life and Paul's there the, the little guy the prisoner probably in prison uniform and he says do you believe the prophets? I know you believe just like he said to Festus the things I'm talking about are the words of absolute truth and you Festus oh, well he calls it most excellent Festus and all that you know this 29 he says and I'll pray to God I'll pray to God for you this is contempt of court this is the the little guy in the court in the dock saying I'm going to pray for you guys you great king who's judging me I'll pray to God for you mate that you and not only you but also all that hear me this day might become as I am apart from these chains and you can imagine him showing because he was in chains in the dock so in other words I want you to be a Christian. Well, you see there the power of the little guy. And you see how God loves to use the beaten, the small, and the despised in order to witness his truth to those who are mighty. So we're going to take the bread and the cup now that represents the body and the blood of Jesus. And by doing this, we are identifying, we are identifying with him, with his body, with his life, and we're saying yes to him. We're saying, "Yes, I want to make this identity." Now above all, you do this when you're being baptized, into his death, into his resurrection, but more than that, it's in a life lived. Because as we've seen, Paul is saying, "I, Paul, I'm the light of the world. I've come to give you light." But Jesus is the light of the world. He's the one who came to give you light. Everything that is true about Jesus becomes true of us. And that is what it is to be, as Paul so often says, in Christ. To be him to this world. To actually have a mission and a purpose in this life. And man is never better than when he's doing God's work. It doesn't matter if you're unemployed, If you're on disability pension, if you didn't make it in life, it wouldn't make any difference. To actually do the Lord's work and to be on His mission. This is the greatest achievement. This is the greatest, if you like, career. This is the greatest purpose that any man can have in this world. So, let's give thanks. Heavenly Father, we thank you from all our hearts for the symbols of your Son's body and His blood, His life we willingly identify ourselves with him, that we might live forever with him, and that we might be part of your mission, part of you, part of your purpose, part of your true people. For Jesus' sake, amen.